The views and opinions expressed on the Wire and Wick podcast are solely those of the contributors and do not reflect those of our sponsors or distributors. This podcast contains adult language and themes. Listener discretion is advised. It's the Wire and Wick podcast with your host, Chris Carlson. Yes, it is the Wire and Wick podcast. I am your host. My name is Chris Carlson, and your future self is watching you right now through memories. Folks, it has been a while, hasn't it? And I am not coming here today with good news for those of you who are a fan of the podcast. I am coming to you today with probably the worst news if you like this show the worst news if you look forward to this show every week and that is that i am i'm not doing this show anymore guys and i'm going to tell you why i'm not doing this show anymore i'm not doing this show anymore because i just i don't have the time for this show i don't have this t- i don't have the time to do this show to the level that i have come to expect from myself for this show a little bit of a peek behind the curtain. Every episode of this show, as you know, is around an hour long, is what the goal is. 45 minutes to an hour is what every episode comes out to. However, behind that 45 minutes to an hour is typically around 12 hours of research. 10 to 12 hours every week of research. On top of working right now about 50 hours a week and having a family, I just don't have time to keep up this show. And it's not that I don't want to. I really enjoy doing this show when I have time to do the show. I just, I simply don't have time anymore to put this out in a quality format. I don't have time to, to check my facts. I don't have time to make sure that everything that I'm saying is as accurate as possible. As you know, I like to come out and I like to give backstory behind what's going on with the news, behind what's going on with politics, what kind of decisions led to the the situation that we're in at this moment. I don't have time for any of that anymore. So what I would be doing is I'm, I, I had to choose between am I going to put out subpar episodes and continue to do this show or am I going to stop doing this show and as you can see from what i'm saying right now as you can hear i'm not doing this show anymore but that being said i'm not stopping podcasting what i'm doing is instead switching over to another show that i've been wanting to do for a while a show that i really thought was something that was really interesting to me and was something that i really wanted to do but did not have the time on top of this show and since i don't have time to do just this show anymore I've decided to do that other show, and it's a show that doesn't take as much of my time. It doesn't take as much time away from my family, as much time away from my daughter, as much time away from my wife. It it gives me time to be a good dad, to be a good husband, and still get my voice out there, still talk to people, still get engaged. And so I'm going to ask you guys to listen to this. This episode is going to be episode two of the show that I'm doing currently. This this episode, I picked episode two, I should explain. I picked episode two of the show because it is closest 
to what this show is in that we talk about politics on this episode of the show. So it's sort of a soft transition. Now, the new show that I'm doing is a show called The Podcasting Couch. And what The Podcasting Couch is, is a show where I sit down with different podcasters, uh, musicians, YouTubers, general content creators. I sit down and I have a chat with them about what they're doing, about what their show is, what their content that they make is, why they make it, how they make it, and then we just have a little bit of a discussion, a little chat that goes along with whatever their show is about, whatever their thing is about. We talk about that. It usually comes out to the same, about 45 minutes to an hour. So those of you who maybe enjoy listening to my perspective on things, it's in this show. It's still there. It's just different is all. It doesn't have the same amount of research, so it's not going to be quite as polished in that regard, it's not going to be as as well written. I, I actually write out the episodes before I do them as well. It's it's semi scripted. The show. I don't know if I ever mentioned that, but I write out everything that I'm going to say uh, as far as the majority of it. At the end, I kind of go off and talk about whatever I want to talk about in regards to it. Talk more on my opinion and less on the facts. But as far as the facts of the show go, it's always been scripted. It's always been well thought out, well written beforehand to make sure that I don't get anything wrong. And there have been times where I have gotten it wrong and I've corrected myself in there, but I don't, I just don't have time anymore. You guys, I don't have time to put that out and it would not feel right to me to put out incorrect information or incomplete information just for the sake of putting the show out. So I'm not doing the show anymore. But like I said, we are still going to listen to, if you want to, I mean, you can tune out at any time that you want to, but I'm going to switch over now to episode two of the podcasting couch. And it's a really good episode. I chat with, with this fellow named Raja, who is the host of Uncredible Debate and, excuse me, Unformal Debate and Uncredible Profits. And it's a good discussion that we had about the, the state of politics right now, why people are leaning in the directions that they're leaning, and how this election is a lot different than what we've normally seen in the past, and just how crazy all that is, and why we think maybe it's led to that point, why we are where we are now as a country. I think that you guys will really enjoy it, and that's why I'm putting it out there. Instead of just putting out 10-minute episode to say goodbye, I'm going to put this out. There's going to be links in the description to everything that we talk about in the show, as well as the new website for the new show. I really hope you guys enjoy it. Over the next couple weeks, I'm going to be trying to put all of my old episodes of the Wire and Wick podcast onto YouTube because I'm going to have to stop using this hosting service as well. I can't afford it anymore. Uh, it's $15 a month, which doesn't seem like that much until you add up all the other expenses that I have. And with only me working since, since my wife and I have decided that it would be better for her to stay home with the baby and work on her, her photography business. Right now, money's a little tight. So we're cutting that, we're, we're, we're cutting where we can. And one of the places where I can afford to cut is my hosting. So I'm sorry to you guys. I'm going to be taking it down. There will be a YouTube page up shortly. I'll put a link to it on the front page of the website, thewirenwickpodcast.com. That'll be up. And you can just click from there to go to previous episodes if you want to, if you want to share them with anybody, anything like that. 
Uh, I'm really sorry, anybody who's gotten a hold of me. I know I've gotten a few emails and some Facebook messages in the last span of time that it's been since I've done this show, and I haven't gotten back to you because I didn't want to put out bits and pieces of information before I had really decided what I was going to do. But now that I've decided what I'm going to do, I'm putting it out there for you guys right now that this this is just how it's going to be now. So I will no longer be doing this show. This feed will be up for... I don't know, a a few more weeks, and then it's probably just going to be this episode, and the rest of the feed is going to be down, and I'm going to do my best to start putting it on YouTube. That takes some time. Uh, just rendering a single episode on my computer takes a few hours. It's not the best computer, so bear with me. I will do the best I can to get those out onto YouTube, and I guess that's it. That's... It sucks. I'm really not happy about this, but I just, I, it's something I have to do. And so that's what we're doing. So if you guys don't want to listen any further, this is the point to turn it off because we're going to go to the new show. But if you are interested in the new show, please stick around. I really appreciate it. Uh, give it a chance. It's really early on in the show. I'm still working out the kinks of how I want that show to be, what kind of tone I want that show to be. So you can tune into that right now, the second episode. You can go back, listen to the first episode as well. Uh, that's the podcasting couch and just get a feel. Let me know if you like it. Let me know if you've listened to this show and I will be getting back to people now. Uh, let me know if you've listened to this show and you switched over and you're willing to switch over and it's something that you're interested in and something that you want to listen to because I care about you guys. You guys tune in every week to hear what I have to say. And I don't take that for granted. Like I said, I, I appreciate it all. I always say that because I always do. It really does mean the world to me that people are willing to just tune in and listen to just some guy that they've never met and hear his opinions on things like they actually mean something. I just wish, I wish there were more hours in the day so that I could continue to do this, but it's just not feasible anymore. So I guess this is me signing off of the Wire and Wick podcast. I hope that you guys enjoy the podcasting couch and remember, it's all bullshit. Welcome to episode two of the Podcasting Couch. The Podcasting Couch is, of course, a podcast in which I, your host, Chris Carlson, sit down with a different podcaster, musician, uh, video maker, YouTuber, uh, content creators in general. Um, I take some time to sit down with different content creators, chat with them for a little bit. Uh, we'll have this part a little bit more hammered out as we get further and further along down the line. Eventually, you'll go back uh, when we get like episode 5, 6, 10. You'll go back to episode 1, episode 2, and you'll go, Wow, this guy really did not have his intro down at the time, did he? No, he did not. He did not. I did not have this intro down at the time. Still working on it. Still working out the kinks, feeling what, what feels right, what doesn't for this intro. Just kind of going with it until then. Uh, but anyway... Let's get to talking for a little bit before we get into the main portion of our show. Uh, I wanted to talk about uh, music. Music is a big, big part of my life. I, I love music. I've loved music since before I can remember. Um, 
music's been huge. I my parents were really into music, and so they passed that love of music down onto me. All the way to I listened to all, all sorts of stuff from classic country to classic rock, rap, pop. I don't discriminate, and I've talked about that on this show before. I believe um, I should know. It's only been one other episode, but like I said, I had a podcast before this, as I've mentioned on other episodes, and so. It's hard to remember what I have and have not talked about on here, but I really love music. Most all types of music I really enjoy. I can find at least one or two songs in any genre that I really enjoy. So I, I use streaming services. I love streaming services. I think it's one of the best things to happen to music. It might not be one of the best things for the music industry, but for the consumer, Streaming services are absolutely 100% the best thing that has happened in a long time. Um, but what, what I've noticed is uh, I use Google Play. I use Google Play Music for my streaming service because I've tried out quite a few. Um, they're the ones right off the bat that I have not tried or have not tried recently, at least. I have not tried Pandora or not Pandora. Excuse me. I don't use Pandora. I have not tried Spotify in a long time. I have not tried Tidal ever, and I have not tried Beats Music. I don't even know if they're still using that, but I have not tried that in a long time. I had it when it initially came out. I was not a fan of the UI, and so I got rid of it. Now, what I have tried since that I've used regularly is Apple Music and Google Play Music. And I gotta say, Apple Music, it just, it makes me angry. It is one of the worst apps I've ever used that has been made by such a big company. If it was one or two developers or a small developer team making this app, it would be a fantastic app. But because it's an app that was made by, oh, Apple. There's no reason that that app should be as low quality as it is. It's not responsive to touch uh, in, in, in certain locations. You can't touch an entire line for a song. You have to touch the words, and the fonts are really small. It's just, it's bad. It's not a good app, uh, especially for the price point that you're paying every month for it. It's garbage. So I use Google Play Music. But I do have a gripe with Google Play Music because it's not perfect either. And it's what I wanted to talk about for a little bit. I don't understand it. What I don't understand about Google Play Music is why their recommendation system is so terrible. You would think that since this is Google that we're talking about, the company that has monopolized almost the search engine game, they should know music rec recommendation. They should have that down to a T, to a science, exactly perfect every time. But I'm going to go ahead and go down the list right now of things that Google Play is recommending to me right now. And I'm going to tell you whether or not it's something that I've already listened to with this account. So let's just scroll down here. Recommended for you. The first one is Carmen Radio, because I've listened to Carmen. So, I mean... I guess it's a radio station, so it'll show me some different stuff later, but it's not anything new. The one underneath that, Tim Minchin Radio, again, because I've listened to Tim Minchin already. It's not because I've listened to someone close to Tim Minchin. The one after that, The Key of Awesome, the album, which I have listened to. It's nothing new, and it just it keeps on going down the list, and it's just... it's. 
it's nothing new, you guys. The closest thing they have to recommending something new to me is is a, a Billy Talent album because I've listened to a different Billy Talent album. So I suppose that's not exactly online with what I've been saying where they are recommending only things that I've listened to, but they're still staying in that realm of artists that I've listened to. I like branching out. I like discovering new music, but I can't discover new music if all that Google is going to do is recommend that I listen to more of the same. And I just, I can't wrap my head around it. I don't understand the concept of this company that knows search engine optimization, that knows how to find exactly what you're looking for based off of other things that you've looked at based off of look at their 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 ad program their ad program is perfect it goes we know all the things that you've searched for so we know what you might search for next their search program is perfect we know what you've searched for so we know when you misspell something or you say something incorrectly what you mean what you're looking for they can do all of that but music recommendation escapes them and that really it just it boggles my mind. Like I said, it's a great app otherwise, and that's no reason to not use the app. Everything else about it is fantastic. It It is very functional. The notification um, widget, I guess it would be called, is, is great on it. Everything else, fantastic. Just this one little feature is just, it's bad. It's a really bad, bad feature, you guys. And it, it bums me out because that's the one thing that's keeping me from calling this a near perfect app. Right now it's almost there, but it's not quite there yet because of that recommendation system. They're not utilizing their own abilities with this app. And that's, that's just such a shame. Folks, we got a good show for you this week. This week I sit down and I talked with Raja from the Unformal Debate podcast and it's not informal debate you did not hear that wrong i did not say that wrong the podcast is called unformal debate and he has another podcast as well that we don't really talk about in this episode but it's worth giving a look to as well and that's called uncredible profits Unformal Debates and Uncredible Profits are the two podcasts that Raja hosts. And this week I got to sit down and talk with him and it was a great discussion, guys. We talked about politics uh, for the majority of the discussion. I would say 99% of the discussion was about politics and this current election that we're going in right now. And it was really refreshing. I haven't talked about politics with somebody who is really involved in in, in politics in a long time and I've missed it and it was really nice to sit down and have a chat with him about just how crazy this whole thing is going and it was also really refreshing to find somebody who aligns with my beliefs in a way we're both left-leaning I think it's fair to say if you listen to this episode however we don't agree on everything and that's healthy. That's what healthy politics is about. It's not about agreeing with every single little thing. It is about it's about a healthy disagreement. It's about saying, I agree with you, but what if? I agree with you, but maybe we could do this as well or this instead. That is healthy discussion on politics. And it's something that I think that we are lacking a lot of times in our, in our, in our society, I guess to say, uh, communities, our little circle of friends. Uh, we kind of tend to alienate out 
opposing voice opposing voices to what we believe in and so it's really nice to sit down and chat with somebody and have a little bit of a disagreement um nothing too extreme and and it didn't get heated or anything but it was it was a great discussion a very open discussion and i really had a great time uh, having this conversation and i really hope that you guys will enjoy it just as much as i enjoyed listening to it so let's go ahead and take a real short break and then we will get right over to that interview we'll be right back And we are back here on the podcasting couch. With me this week is my guest, Raja, who is host of the Uncredible Profits podcast and the Unformal Debate podcast. Raja, how are you doing today? Good, Chris. How you doing, man? I'm doing fantastic, as a matter of fact. So um, I haven't actually got a chance to uh, to listen to Uncredible Profits. I've been really bogged down with a lot of podcasts lately trying to kind of get Get, get a feel for a bunch of different guests and stuff, but I did get a chance to listen to Unformal Debate, and I got to say, I really, really enjoyed it. But for those who who might not know either of the show or might not listen to either of your shows, why don't you give the, uh, I guess, I guess give a pitch of each of your shows to the audience. Let them know what they can expect if they were to listen to your shows. Okay, so Uncredible Profits is, uh, I, th- I believe we have six episodes out, so we're going to record episode seven sometime later today or tomorrow. And that's uh, me and my co-host Mo, and we mostly just you know talk about what's in the news or what we find funny, life stuff. It's that's an entertainment purpose podcast, right? It's breezy, forty minutes, easy listening, right? Right. Uncredible, uh, un- uncredible debate is myself and my friend Danny. Uh, we only have one episode out now, but we plan to do two this week. Uh, it's, it's we pick a contentious, newsworthy topic. We both pick one side of the argument and we make the argument as though we were in a debate and you know of course i, I always say in the disclaimer it, they don't reflect our actual beliefs because we you know we <laughs> have, we're friends we have some of the same beliefs most of the time right mm-hmm. but we just kind of assign one to the other and, and run with it for the purpose of acting the debate out yeah what i really what i really dug about that podcast what i really liked about it and um for anybody who hasn't listened yet the first episode which is out right now um the other ones should be out by the time this episode's released uh but the first episode was about um gun control essentially and what i really enjoyed about it listening to it uh was very bipartisan um both sides i felt were were very well represented uh you guys really knew what you were talking about it didn't sound like you were just coming out of left field just making stuff up uh it sounded very informed i really liked that uh about the show i liked that it was really evenly handed uh representing both sides and i think that's that is a rare thing to see these days Good, good debate always is even-handed. Thanks to Chris. I take that as a big compliment because uh, I, I know Danny since high school, right? And we we were not, not a debate club, but we were in a discussion group, right? And that it, it sort of stressed that you let the other person talk. You wait your turn. You, you address their points before you make your own point, that kind of thing, you know, just to be respectful in discourse. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I know um, 
back in high school myself and I'd asked you about this um, uh, in, in our conversation before we came on here that I, I had been in debate in high school myself uh, and I think that's one of the things that was really appealing to me about this show because I remember having to not necessarily uh, defend my beliefs but defend um, just a position that I was put into. I was said, you know, you are for this topic or you are against this topic and you go from there and, and it might not necessarily reflect what you believe like you were saying and i think that that is something that uh more people could use um more people could stand to argue the other side just to see the other side i think it would help us kind of understand each other a little bit better as people i think the problem is we have a tendency to kind of get into our own little corner and then not listen to what anybody else has to say you're absolutely right man that's that's sort of the the point of the podcast is to offer two perspectives with equal uh, equal time, equal effort, equal research, and treat both sides with equal respect, despite what we actually believe. I always think there's at least two sides to every story. You need to hear everybody out just to understand. If you need to get something done, no matter what side you're on, you need to work with the other side, right? So if you don't understand where they're coming from, nothing's going to come of it. Oh, absolutely. And I think that you have done a fantastic job so far with with uh, getting that across. That is exactly the feeling that I got when I was listening to the show was that equal uh, representation and, and equal handedness that I, I it's really refreshing, like I was saying. So I, I want to ask you um, that 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 podcast specifically, uh, will you be planning on um, kind of sticking to more uh political kind of things or will you be going into like some social uh kind of issues as well or what what kind of direction are you hoping to go with the show well the next two episodes we have planned which we're already doing research for and uh, texting back and forth on uh one is about uh the election coming up so clearly very political and <laughs> one is about uh activist supreme court justices is there a such thing as you know an activist court that does too much or you know is the history of the supreme court just does it is it in line with uh their part of the constitution or their role in government so yeah it's, it's going to be pretty political for a little while because that's just where the easy debates are i guess but right we're going to start looking for uh you know varied topics as well well i would recommend um if you haven't yet uh check out the um Oh gosh, what is it? Now I can't remember. The National Forensic League, long, long standing uh, debate organization. You find a lot well, of topics there. I Google it as soon as you mentioned it on the email. I, I looked it up, and uh, first I was like, NFL, is he talking about football? What is that? <laughs> it, it was kind of clear that it was somehow debate related from the way you mm -hmm. framed the questions, so I looked it up, and it's, it's called something else now, I think, but yeah, no, National Forensic League. I, I definitely looked it up. Oh, they changed it? Huh. Yeah, it's, it's something a little different now. Oh, I must be getting old. I guess that's what that tells me. <laughs> oh, that hurts me deep down. <laughs> well, yeah, that's um, that's what I I loved about about doing debate in in school was uh, just that spirited discussion of 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 being able to, like I said, see both sides of the table. And um, I'm really interested to hear this uh, this election one because I gotta say, um, at at the risk of getting controversial on a podcast that is not necessarily geared towards politics, but is not out of the question to come up. This uh, this election cycle has been a bit of a crazy one, I have to say. <laughs> no, dude, that's not controversial at all, Chris. I think you're well within the ballpark on that one. <laughs> this, I this heard one is nuts. 
I heard, um, actually the other day, I heard somebody point out, uh, a question whether or not this, this election was a test to see if people, how far people would be willing to go against their core beliefs to defend their party. I know, uh, personally, I, I lean more democratic. I wouldn't necessarily call myself a democrat. I don't agree with some of the, the democratic platforms, but this election cycle, uh, I was in the tank for Bernie Sanders. Anybody, anybody who is, anybody who has listened to my previous podcast, um, knows I, I was a big Bernie Sanders guy. And now I find myself, uh, in a state now after watching, um, at the time that we're recording this, the RNC got finished up the last week and the DNC got finished up this week. Uh, after watching both of them all week, all these past two weeks, I, I find myself supporting Hillary simply for the fact that I am terrified of what's coming out of the RNC personally. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they, it, what the crazy thing is they want you to be terrified. The, the stark contrast between the RNC and DNC was the RNC was selling fear bold-faced fear they were talking about isis they wanted you to be scared of trade deals they wanted you to be afraid of of uh you know uh political correctness that that's somehow going to come in your house and affect your life yeah. it's absurd it, and and the dnc i think i mean obviously wikileaks kind of uh, stole the show from them a little bit but they made mm -hmm. their point that they are the party of hope and all that I, but i'm i'm actually a little different from you i i've been a, a strong supporter of the dems uh, as long as I've been a registered voter, right? So going on right. um, ele 11 years now, I've been voting, and I've been every election down ticket. And this time, um, this is this is not going to spoil the debate episode or anything, but I'm considering voting third party because I'm in New York State. I'm in a very uh, safe state for Hillary, I believe. Mm -hmm. And I just want I just want to make the point that the way the DNC behaved, the way they treated Bernie Sanders and his supporters and his campaign, they referred to him as an insurgent in the emails. I yeah, guess, I, I I have to make some sort of point on that. I feel like in voting uh, for Jill Stein, or if you want to vote for Gary Johnson, if that's more your flavor, just just to make a point of it, because I think she'll win. But if it's tight, at least they have something to think about. Yeah, something to kind of shake them, to scare them. What I worry about myself, um, I live in Idaho, so it is uh, pretty much in the tank for Trump. I believe uh, oh, wow, we have really? a. We have a history of Republican uh, every year. We all every every four years we always go red. Um, so what I worry about personally, uh, going third party, and I guess this is kind of what we were just talking about with what the RNC was doing. I suppose here I'm going to be peddling fear. Uh, if you'll indulge me for a moment, what I worry sure. about is a large portion of the Republican base. I don't think will go third party, which I imagine if the Republican base were to go third party, they would be going Gary Johnson. Um, right. But what I, what I worry about is that the Democratic side, because we see how much support was behind Bernie, and a lot of those Sanders supporters are likely to go Stein, like you were talking about. And I worry yep. that if the Democratic base is too fragmented, what we will be doing is essentially handing the election over to Donald Trump. And I suppose that's voting from a place of fear, but it's also voting from a place of, we got really close this election. Yeah. I believe the primary finished up with what, 46% in Sanders' favor, uh, if I remember correctly from the numbers. That's really close to getting a very outsider candidate into the candidacy for the Democratic Party. So I think the best thing to do, in my opinion, and of course this is just speculation and opinion, um, is to kind of get behind 
the Democrats just for just for the safety of not having a Trump presidency. I worry uh, mainly what I've found this election myself is I just recently uh, had I had a daughter and I, I just worry about well, congratulations. Thank you. I, I worry about her future more than mine. I could give a shit less. I'll live with it, you know, whatever it is. But whatever happens this election, I feel, will will shape a lot of things. And that's something that she has to deal with, not something that I have to deal with. And that's that's where I'm coming from this election. And it might not be necessarily the right place to come from, and I recognize that completely. Uh, I'd be asking, does, does I it believe... Also- do, do you also um, feel a little little more attached to the idea of having a, a woman president since you're going to have a daughter and you want her to grow up with uh, the idea of a woman being a leader being normal more, more than when we grew up? You know, that is a, an attractive thing, no doubt. I- I, I, I can understand that, but I really don't. Um, I, I've, I've, I've been saying since the beginning that I, uh, since the beginning of this election cycle, that I don't have any problem with a woman candidate. I don't think it matters what the candidate is. Period. What, what their gender is, skin color, any of that kind of thing, race. I, what I, what I think matters is the policies, and I think that it's great that the Democrats have the first woman uh, nominee of a major party. But I right. just don't think that it's the right woman. So no, you're absolutely right, and that's that's the way I've been phrasing it when I was in the tank for Bernie, trying to get my family and friends on board. I would say if the, if Elizabeth Warren had decided to run, I would enthusiastically be in favor of the first woman president. Oh that, my goodness, because she because she has integrity for days. Mm-hmm. Right? She was a warrior for the little guy in the Senate. She scares the hell out of Wall Street. Yeah, <laughs> and, and that would have been a great nominee. The other thing that I worry about with the DNC this year, if I'm sure you got a chance to watch the DNC, was just how, uh, if you were paying attention to kind of what was going on in the background, how stifling they were of dissenting opinions. Yes, they had white noise machines. They had actors come in and replace people who did walkouts. It was it was absurd. Mm-hmm. And like I, I'm, I'm in the same place that you are, where I've been mostly down ticket my entire uh, my entire life, as long as I've been right. voting. But this this I don't know this primary season has just brought out an ugly side in both parties. I think really, Chris, if we could just go back and get a little bit contentious, give the people some entertainment. I want to disagree with something you said earlier. Okay, so give, give them some informal debate on on your show a little bit. <laughs> Nothing so, wrong with that. So you said it um, It doesn't matter who the president is. The policies just matter. It doesn't matter if the president is uh, black. It doesn't matter if the president's a woman. So full disclosure, my family is of Indian descent. I was born and raised in Queens. I 100% consider myself an American. I couldn't live in India for a week. I just, I'm not, that. my culture's all over here, right? Right. But I think the the role of the president is very unique in American politics in that they are both, this is going to sound counterintuitive, because the president is both a, a huge, if not the biggest policymaker, but they are also a figurehead. They, the, the face of the president, the identity of the president, g- gives a lot of power to the, the notions that, that everybody works on stereotypes, right, more or less. Right. And I think... I think electing President Obama, we won't know for 10 or 15 years how big that actually was. We'll figure it out later when, like the other day a friend of mine said, you know there are six-year-old kids who never had a white president? I was like, wow, that, that is, I mean, not that we shouldn't huh. have white, white leadership, but what is normal? Once it happens, and I, I know people are you know, sort of wary of the, the, the um, what do you call it, 
the tokenism, right? That, oh, now that we've had a black guy, we don't have to have one again. Now that we have a woman, we don't have to have one again. Right. Putting that aside, not being cynical for a moment, once it's been done, you don't have to tell children. You don't have to tell each other that it's possible. You know it's possible. And part of the president's job is, what is a, a big part of President Obama's job? There's a terrorist attack somewhere. Something happens in American politics and American life. He gets on TV and he talks to us. He's our therapist. He's our friend. He's he's there for us. Who he is and how he is is as much of a part of who he or she. Now we should say right. Whoever yeah. he or she is <laughs> is as much a part of their policy. The, the, the presidency is fifty fifty. Was what I'm trying to say. It's their policies are important, but the identity of the person is important as well. And this isn't you know. The, the you know white upper class Yale educated son of a president this time right even Donald Trump you know he's I mean I'm not a big fan of his but we don't have a conventional candidate and that tells you that America is going in a different direction and I think that's inspiring for people I can understand that I can see that completely I think where I come from personally on this matter is uh, and this might just be more this election cycle than it is the general you were talking more in the general uh i i think i speak more here in this case to the specific here what i worry about is with being the first woman if if hillary should win the first woman president uh coming in with uh at the moment just record unfavorability uh yeah no you're uh, right you're right about that and, and, and what I worry about is that's within her own base. And that's where I get a little bit uh, weary because I think even in, in that case, it could be, um, and I'm, I'm interested to hear your opinion on this too, because uh, I don't know if this is necessarily the most mainstream position, but I think if she were to win with her unfavorability where it is in, in an unconscious place in the back of some people's mind, it could be actually harmful to women in politics, maybe that it could say, well, look at what happened when we, uh, and, and this could be more towards the, the right base. And I don't want to necessarily say that this is my opinion on the matter, but my, my observations of how the general public tends to think is this is what happened when we elected the first woman president. So why would we do it again? If, if something bad should happen and we've got such such huge unfavorability ratings in this candidate. I just feel like this is not the best figurehead to represent that group of people. Well, you uh, you have a point, Chris. Hillary Clinton is very unpopular among liberal Democrats, among the most liberal members of her party. She has a high unfavorable ratings, and she has high untrustworthy numbers, which... Mm-hmm. You shouldn't be a problem, right? You shouldn't have 40 years in public life and people don't know whether to trust you or not. That's very strange. And I think that's a personality quirk, too, is she comes off shady. I, I'm not saying that she is or isn't shady, but I see it. I see what people are so suspicious of. It's just the calculated nature of both Clintons. But Bill Clinton had the charm to cover it up. She kind of doesn't have that perfume over it. You know what I mean? Yeah. You can, you, you can kind of just see the me- machinations take place in her brain of which position should I take? How should I go about this? And that that's comes off disingenuous and would that permanently harm the idea of having a woman president i think well even like president obama's term two, two terms have been instructive okay i think for eight years you've seen a congress that is more obstructionist than anything in american history they, they were labeled the do nothing congress early in his first term right Mm-hmm. They just not only voting again, they refused to vote. They didn't want to have the vote. They didn't want to give him a chance to govern, right? Right. Now, 
you could say they were trying to railroad him because of you know he, he came in on a landslide. He you know won states from from uh, sorry John McCain that no Democrat had won in decades. But some people put a racial tinge to it. I won't go there. But let's say hypothetically he he has given sort of a divisive image to the idea of a black leader. The fact that we've now had a black leader, I think, outweighs that. Still gives. The, uh, the puts the possibility more in the favor of electing another black man and now if Hillary wins electing another woman then had they never been elected at all because in, in the early 2000s going into 2004 it was still a joke stand-up comedians were making jokes about having a black president because it was absurd um, you're a fan of Dave Chappelle yes D Dave Chappelle in, in 2002 three four his show was on he was making jokes about what if we had a black president and you know the the Sam Jackson he, he had the Sam Jackson character of an asteroid flying towards the earth and they'd blame the black guy for the asteroid coming but <laughs> right. it, it was it was a trope it was a joke and now it, whether you like him or not he was there that's right. part of our history now that's going in the books and I think um yeah there, there could absolutely be a better face on it I would personally much prefer Elizabeth Warren I think she you know integrity is is her middle name and I think Hillary kind of missed I mean it, it might have been controversial for different reasons but if she had picked Elizabeth Warren as her running mate I think that would have answered a lot of questions even though the vice president is a ceremonial position they don't really do anything yeah it she had the opportunity to really quell a lot of fears and she picked the most traditional choice out there in Tim Kaine just sort of a wink and a nod to the old school like hey I'm one of you guys too and that's the problem with Hillary Clinton <laughs> I think I think you're absolutely right and I want to um I want to get back to that in a moment the VP pick um right. that is something that I would like to talk about but I want to get back when you were when you were talking um you kind of made me think about something and that was what you were saying a moment ago about that we won't really see the repercussions of this, uh, be it positive or negative, for years to come. And I think uh, I got to thinking about that as you were talking. Um, and it made me think, um, and I, I got I to gotta get it out. I'm, I'm losing it already. It's already going away. Um, I, I think that, for instance, with, with, with Obama, like you were talking about, that we had a very obstructionist uh, Congress. I worry, um, I worry if uh, perhaps... See, it's already leaving. <laughs> oh, good. Hillary, Hillary might invite the same obstructionism. I think so, but what I think is is that in, in the in the immediate, we'll look at it and go, "Oh, they didn't do anything. They didn't get a lot done." Obviously, uh, President Obama did get quite a bit done with what he could work with, and I think that history will show that. But I think in the immediate, we see, "Oh, he made." X number of campaign promises and only oh. got a fraction of that done. Obviously not his fault. Oh, I'm on that team too though, Chris. I'm, I'm on that squad too. I was hoping change 100% in 2008 and, you know, the history books will say one thing, but I'll be telling people something else that, yeah, he promised to close, he promised to close Guantanamo, right? No ifs, ands, or buts about it, if I'm quoting him correctly. Mm -hmm. um, he was going to be the candidate of transparency and this ended up being uh, the, the point in time in American history where Americans trust their government the least, are under surveillance. The whole, you know, Edward Snowden, WikiLeaks stuff, uh, Bradley Manning. Uh, I think now he goes by a different name. You I think it's Chelsea. Chelsea, thank you. I don't, I don't want to be disrespectful. Yeah, Chelsea Manning. This, this was supposed to be a different kind of president. And in a lot of ways, it really wasn't. The number of drone strikes went up. Covert operations overseas have seemed to increase from the Bush administration somehow. Yeah, I mean, I, I have my issues too. You're right. In 15 years, we're going to talk negative and we're going to talk positive too. 
I, I think, and that is something that I, I'm on the same boat. I've been saying the same thing. I feel like, uh, almost cheated. I feel like with President Obama, we were sold a fake bill of goods. I think we were told we were going to get one thing. And what we got instead was, uh, a bit of a centrist who, yeah. Who started, and and I've been saying this from the beginning, uh, with, with the Bernie campaign. A lot of people were asking me, you know, oh, do you really think that he's going to get free college for everybody? Do you really think he's going to get free, uh, healthcare for everybody? Do you think he's really going to get all of these things? And I said, no, absolutely not. I'm not an idiot. But I think what's going to happen is if we were to elect Bernie, we would be starting from the left and arguing with the right and end up somewhere in the center versus with someone like Hillary Clinton, someone like Barack Obama, we end up starting from the center arguing with the right ending up somewhere center right and that's what i was worried about you have to you have to fight for your side but also i think you know a lot of the the ridiculous things bernie promised they weren't that ridiculous you know college there are people now who who are walking the face of the earth who went to college for free right this isn't a Mm -hmm. crazy idea we had free college state and uh, local colleges in this country before People are just afraid to take the for-profit motive out of it because these industries exist. Well, the question is, where are your loyalties? Are they with the industries? Do you want a, a student loan, uh, a, you know, loan shark industry making money off people? Or do you want people becoming educated? Do you want to raise the standard for uh, science and, uh, you know, everything in America? Or do we want to just make money for people who make money doing nothing? Because that's what loans are. It's just you're paying interest on something. You're not creating value for society. You're not adding anything. A person going to college is infinitely more valuable than than um, a value for stockholders. And I think Bernie Sanders struck a chord with people in that he was willing to say that. Like you said, he wasn't arguing from the center and ending up center-right. He was arguing from the left and pulling the entire conversation left. And we're, and we're going to miss that in this general election now. It, 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 we are, and um, it is a shame. And now I want to get back to what you were talking about a moment ago with uh, vice presidents. And um, I don't want this whole thing to become a big, uh, a, a, a big like, oh, look at us, we're on the left, and oh, screw Hillary. I don't want, I don't want this to become like a, a conversation <laughs> that continues going in the same direction. But there no, is know, one thing that I do want to talk thing, about. Chris. Okay. You're in good you're in good company though. A lot of people are scared that that us sort of trying to have intelligent debate on the left are hurt like we're sort of shooting ourselves in the foot because mm-hmm. we're just talking, but we might be giving the impression that Hillary isn't as popular. She you know maybe isn't the candidate to go with. Uh Donald Trump wants to build a wall to keep people out. Like it's, you know, the 7th century in China. That's that's where his foreign policy is at. That's where his immigration policy is. So you have a person who maybe we have some problems with, and you have the most unreasonable candidate in modern history. Oh, I point to my my more um, my favorite policy that he's floated so far that I like to point to is not the wall. I like to point to the uh, the fact that he floated the idea of defaulting on the national debt. That oh, yeah. that is one that I worry about. The things that are actual sort of pseudo policies something like the wall that's not going to happen we know that's not going to happen right but even even saying it like you're talking about the the defaulting on the loan i think at one point um uh i think it was led by ted cruz there was sort of an insurgent branch of the the tea partiers the the tea partiers in the uh and and the republican senate they hinted that they might not uh pass a budget on time and that hurt america's credit rating just the indication that they were willing to entertain the idea 
I remember that. That I is, remember, abs- I, I, that's how sensitive the world credit market yeah. is. I was in the military at the time um, when that wow, happened, you know, and I, re- I remember, I remember thinking uh, when they were talking about that they're not going to pass the budget, and they were talking about shutting down the federal government. I remember going to my my sergeant in charge at the time and saying, "Are we going to get paid this month? Am I going to yeah, be able to put food on my family's plate?" And it's because of uh, obstructionist uh, legislation and. It was, it was a scary time. Um, and and Don, Donald Trump is willing to say stuff like that. Like you just quoted him. He's willing to say, you know, maybe I won't pay the debt. Maybe China can go screw themselves. Maybe, yeah, I'll do what I want. You can't say stuff like that. Maybe Russia should uh, hack hack more emails so that oh I can God. hurt my opponent. Uh, what I can't understand about that one, and I want to talk about uh, something else that's been bugging me about this this election cycle, is both on both sides. Um, the people so high up getting away with so much i believe they asked um it might have been either the fbi or the cia don't quote me because i can't remember exactly but one of the two um the director under the bush administration what he thought about that um about that statement where uh and if anybody who hadn't heard it essentially donald trump floated the idea that maybe uh the russian hackers who supposedly hacked the dnc should uh find those deleted emails on Hillary from Hillary Clinton's server um which by the way is impossible but yeah yeah, <laughs> I, don't, yeah. I don't know what planet he lives on but go ahead <laughs> oh no absolutely but um they they uh either the CIA or FBA director under the Bush administration said what he did was tetramount or tetramount to uh to to treason yet no consequences. And it goes the same with what happened with the uh, the Hillary Clinton email scandal. I was holding out for an indictment the whole time, all the way through. And then it came out that uh, James Comey said, well, what she did was illegal. What she did was grossly negligent. Um, he gave very scathing, scathing things that he said about her, but ultimately did not recommend an indictment. He, and said, no, he said no prosecutor would recommend an indictment in this situation. He was, mm. that, he was clear about that. I mean, th- that would hurt her, and it should hurt her, and we should, you know, that should inspire us to follow up with her as president. This is not going to be a situation where you vote, and four years later you think about, well, what's going on? No, we're going to have to write our congresspeople, our senators. We're going to have to vote in midterms, which for some reason we hate to do. Yeah. We're going to have to follow up with this president. It's an advantage and a disadvantage the way she conducts policy, right? Because. Mm. She's, you know, sort of a finger in the air, seeing which way the wind is blowing type of person. Yeah. We have, to le- we have to stack the chips. We have to let her know which way the wind is blowing, what we will and will not accept. Well, I and, was telling... And, oh, go on. Go I'm sorry. I, I was like, and then maybe we can hope to get, you know, some governance out of her because she's just, she's bent on not making unpopular decisions. And even the, the whole email scandal with the FBI, what I believe was behind all of that, why delete all the emails, why, why you know, be reckless and have your own server when that's not the way to do it. Your own State Department said that's not the way to do it. Is she wanted to control the flow of information that related to her, that came from her and came to her to protect herself from freedom of information requests. Mm-hmm. And, and and that's somebody who may be walking into the White House is that brazen with hiding information from people. That's a little bit scary. Oh, absolutely. Um, what I've been saying, uh, and I've been getting a lot of flack for this, actually, um, in the uh, the Bernie Sanders subreddit, uh, a lot oh, of... Sa- Sanders for president? I love those guys. They're so on fire. And, and they uh, never quit. Yeah, I, 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 I admire their tenacity. But I have been getting... 
a lot of flack over there because I've been pointing out a lot of people have, have been saying, well, what are we supposed to do? What do we do now? And I, I've, I've told people uh, personally what I think you should be doing um, if you want to support Sanders further is um, begin campaigning for your local, what they've been calling Bernie Kratz now. Um, right. Yes, elect Hillary Clinton. Message. Elect that's Hillary message. Clinton into the, into the White House. Um, campaign hard for Bernie Kratz. Vote down ticket Bernie Kratz and hold her feet to the fire. She has made concessions. Whether or not she will hold on to those is to be seen, but she has made concessions to the progressive left. What we need to do is get progressives into power to hold her feet to the fire on those promises. Yeah, but you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. But I think the the problem starts with you have a candidate who's who's willing to say one thing and then another thing, right? And mm -hmm. this is the problem. I think the the thing I, I like the most about Bernie, and there's so many things to love about somebody with as much integrity as Bernie, but the, the one aspect of that I really like the most is I knew which compromises he would not make. I knew who he wouldn't sell out, and I knew which policies and which issues and which constituencies he will not sell out for a compromise. Exactly. Okay, I, I love President Obama. He passed meaningful health care reform, which has been a dream since the 20th century, right? But he made it happen. Mm -hmm. and, but he, he sat down at the table already conceding that single-payer wasn't going to happen. Imagine what we would have if he sat down with single-payer, where we would have gotten. He, he, he's, a, he's sort of a pre-compromiser. He'll sit down with a less... He'll sit down with something that's not liberal enough for his people, but it's just liberal enough to piss off the other side. Mm -hmm. And... And, and Bernie is not the type. He would sit down and say, this is what's right, this is what we should do, and this is what we need to make happen. And I think he, he said his, his political revolution can still continue, and you refer to Bernie Kratz. Yeah, I don't think it's time to give up yet. I think we, can, we should vote for Hillary in unsafe states. I'm, I'm with you on that. I'm going to try to make my little protest vote here in New York, unless the polls are close. Right. At which point I'm going, I'm going for Hillary. I don't want to risk it and be the guy who put Donald Trump in the White House. Yeah. But yeah, we, we elect Hillary. We elect real liberals in our, you know, the Senate or, or, or even local because, you know, they need a triple A team. You have to have a city council person. You have to have an alderman, a mayor, whatever, who can go yeah. up to the national level. You have to elect people who are, who are, if you're a true liberal, elect a true liberal. True conservatives have been electing true conservatives for decades. We're late to the game. They're great at it, too. I'll give them that much. They are, as far as I've seen, one of the strongest votes in, in the country. They're, it's, well, you're, it's, you're, see, let me ask you something. You're in Idaho. Are Christian mm -hmm. conservatives a big uh, constituency out there? You know, like people sort of uh, pandering to them when they come out there? Um, yes, uh, but you're seeing it, and I suppose this would be any, almost any, any state at this point with the way that our society is going. You're seeing it less and less and less right. every four years just because of the way that everybody's moving. Um, this, this election cycle, for instance, the, uh, the support behind Bernie was enormous in, in, in the state of Idaho, even the, the rallies were, were pretty, were way bigger than I expected them to be. Also, did you, did you make it out to a rally? I, I didn't get a chance to. I requested it off of work, and um, the day was already full. Everybody else oh. had already requested it off, and I was really – I'm telling myself in the back of my head that that's because everybody who requested it off was all down there at the rally. So I, so I was there I, in I, spirit. I, 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 that's, that's good enough, I guess. I was going to go to a rally here in New York. He had one in uh, Manhattan, which I figured would be too packed, and he had one in the Bronx, which I wanted to go to. So it's maybe two and a half, two hours before the rally, and I'm about to leave my house. I just put the TV on to see if you know if bernie's there yet or whatever and you can't get in you can't get near the place 
there are people who are standing blocks and blocks away just to sort of catch a glimpse as he comes on stage. They're not even within earshot of the speakers. Uh, the absurd of his rallies, I think, in a way they scared people because historically rallies, you know, <laughs> they don't really inspire that you're a reasonable person with, uh, you know, regular policies. But right. at the same time, I think he, he energized people who, who don't even vote. A lot of these people who showed up to these rallies, not only was it their first political rally, it was the first election they cared about. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I think that goes right back exactly to what we were talking about earlier with uh, um, we're almost full psych- or full circle here where we were talking about uh, President Obama and his uh, sort of centrist mentality. Um, I think that that's exactly why people latched on to the Bernie campaign so much as you had somebody who was arguing from the far left and was saying, yeah, we can do this stuff. But unlike President Obama, had a proven record of just that. Oh, Bernie Sanders has a reputation as, you know, he he was so liberal, he left the Democratic Party. He's technically right now, he's an independent. Mm -hmm. He he, he was a Democrat and then he didn't want to be a Democrat anymore. Because I I believe, I don't know if it was related to the, actually at, at the time of the Iraq war, I think he was an independent, and I remember reading the list of abstaining voters. It was, you know, Barney Frank and like a couple of Democrats, and then independent Bernie Sanders. And I remember thinking, "Oh, there's an independent in the Senate." <laughs> that was pretty <laughs> impressive at the time. Yeah, but I, I think if if we can work from within, yeah, the revolution can continue. You know, we can get Bernie what he needs. Uh, it's just it's just up to us to to be active, not to vote every wake up every four years and see oh what happened in the last four years. Let me vote this way or that way. That's not how you get change. Oh, absolutely. I I couldn't agree with you more. And um, I think that's actually... Uh, oh, but I, think, I, I remember oh. where we were. Excuse me. One second. So I asked you about uh, Christian conservatives in Idaho. So what I was wanted to talk about was, yeah, about 8, 12 years ago, you know, 2004, 2008, Christian conservatives were sort of the most sought-after vote on the right. You had guys who were, let's say, northeastern conservatives like a, like a, a Thompson or a Giuliani. And they they wanted to go out and get this Christian conservative vote because they were such a strong coalition. They voted as a block, and they held you accountable for what you said and what you did. We need our, the left's version of that, the, the sort of Bernie revolution. We need to become the you know, for lack of a better word, the Christian conservatives of the right. Right. Our <laughs> votes are our votes are courted. Where you you have to be a pure liberal to get us on your side. And if, if we, you know, if we uh, just sort of, that, that's a danger of voting for Hillary, actually. If we kind of just give them what they want, then all the, the sort of duplicity and everything they did wrong, you, you know, it kind of worked. Oh, absolutely. Um, that's the other side of it. They, they kind of got what they, what they angled for, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I can see that completely. And I think that is where, um, that's the stalemate that we're sort of at as Democrats, I believe, is that we are in a place where it's either we vote our conscience which is for me as well it would be absolutely would not be voting for hillary clinton i would be voting third party as well we can either vote our conscience or we play it safe and not worry about fracturing the party which um like we were talking about earlier it's 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 this thing that we're worrying about uh it's this sort of balancing act that we are now as the democratic base sort of playing where what what is the right thing to do um how much should we be holding hillary clinton accountable how much is it go from how how much does it go from this is my candidate she should represent me to 
I am damaging this person and helping the other side. It, it is it is a very yeah you're right. interesting balancing act. There's a lot of bitterness in, in American society right now, not just American politics, but just we're just we're angry, and it kind of I mean in a way I get it, but in a way it doesn't make sense because they aren't. Don't you think things are? I mean we've both fairly criticized President Obama now, but aren't things better than they were eight years ago? The country was on fire. Oh, and somehow, absolutely. And somehow everybody's angry. It's a little strange, right? Yeah. No, I agree 100% with that. Um, I think so, that's so absolutely Chris, you, you, accurate. Chris, excuse me. You were talking about going uh, third party. I just wanted to ask you, if you were to go third party, would you go Gary Johnson or Jill Stein? Oh, I would absolutely be going uh, Jill Stein. I, 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 I have not got a chance to really di- uh, dive deeply into either candidate i know that i've never really uh aligned with the libertarian um personally um but i don't know a whole lot about the green party um and and that's that's another reason why i wouldn't be putting my vote over there it wouldn't be an informed vote in that case i know what i'm getting sort of in a way you know uh what what to expect i suppose is a better term than i know what i'm getting i know what to expect with a hillary clinton vote i know what to expect with a donald trump vote i don't know what to expect with a jill stein or a gary johnson vote and i i I will probably be getting more into it but but like you said this uh this state is not a given state um it's 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 a more dangerous vote to go third party in this state i think to to split that small bit of democratic representation in this state uh is is very favorable to the candidate that i don't want more if that makes sense yeah no that's that makes perfect sense that's the conversation in america right now is you know do you want to vote since you can't have your first choice why not vote against the worst choice that's a Mm -hmm. lot a lot of people are, are using that logic where you know people are even voicing it that way they're saying i don't love hillary clinton but i have to vote against donald trump Exactly, and and that that might cause you know a, a, a landslide of people who yeah like you said she has unfavorable high unfavorables but she might win on a landslide because of how much more unfavorable Donald Trump's uh, ratings are. Oh, absolutely. Oh, I was I was telling someone the other day. I said that the uh, the Republican National Convention, in my opinion, was a better ad for Hillary Clinton than anything Hillary Clinton could ever put out. Well said. Well said. <laughs> oh. Um, yeah this is just it's it's a different one this is a this is definitely a different election um i like i like the fact that things are getting shaken up uh things aren't staying the status quo that they typically are um it's very refreshing uh and like i said before and i've talked about this with people too um they've always told us every every four years you know they have always said uh vote in the democrat and maybe next year you'll get your change next election cycle and then right, the right. next one comes and we get more of the same we see with we're, we're with hillary clinton this election cycle but i think what i've been telling people you know is like like i said earlier we were at 46 percent of the primary votes that's pretty close i think yeah, you're right. i think the, the worst thing we can do the worst thing we can do is shut up because we've made a point Mm-hmm, absolutely, and I think what we need to do is, like I said, keep with the with the down ticket progressives, um, kind of suck it up and swallow the bitter pill that is Hillary Clinton presidency uh, right. to protect the future of. I don't want to sound like I'm like like it's going to be the apocalypse if Donald <laughs> Trump wins. Obviously, it, 
it wouldn't be the absolute end of the world. It wouldn't be great though. Um, but I think that we need to swallow that bitter pill and just say next, next four in the next four years, we're going to hold her feet to the fire and then we're going to primary the crap out of her again and see what happens from there. Uh, I think is the best thing that we can do for the country right now. I mean, and it's it's worth noting where Bernie Sanders is. Bernie Sanders is, I don't know if he's going to be a surrogate for her, but he basically got on stage and said, hey, don't vote, you know, don't throw your vote away. Vote for Hillary Clinton. Uh, I, I think uh, President Obama said, uh, don't boo vote. Hillary Clinton quoted him on that. Bernie had his own version of that earlier. Like, don't boo, you know, make something happen. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the California Democrats were making a lot of noise out there. They felt, uh, you know, because there was a little controversy with the vote counting and, you know, oh, yeah. was it on the up and up? And th- th- those questions are going to remain. We're not going to solve those anytime soon. But it's worth noting that this was Bernie's movement. Well, let's take a look at where Bernie is. Absolutely. And I agree with that 100%. I've been asking people that too. You know, I've been saying, like, do you think that you know the political field better than the guy who you agree with everything else on and has been in the political spectrum for 40 years? He understands that, you know, at a certain point, you got to play ball. You know, it's, 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 it's chess. You know, yeah. it's not Chess, it, chess not checkers. You're right. Mm-hmm. You got you, you've got to make some sacrifices. You got to do some things that you wouldn't want to do so that you can come out on top in the end. And that's what I think Bernie Sanders is doing here. He's saying, you know, listen to how much I have criticized her all through the primary. Those criticisms still stand. But she's better than your alternative choice. <laughs> well, uh, you know, that's another thing we can hope to hear from Bernie. Uh, you know, these things for the four years hold her feet to the fire. I think Bernie's going to be right in there with us doing that. I think he's going to, we're going to hear his voice on foreign policy, on economic policy, on uh, everything top to bottom. He's going to be active and he's going to be heard and they're going to have to respect him because he, even the, uh, you know, the Democratic, uh, what do you call it? The um, the platform that came out. I think Bernie Bernie put Dr. Cornell West on the, uh, on the, the drafting committee of it and, you know, the, the, there's recent, some more leaks from the DNC. People are like, oh, he's trash. I don't want to, to work with him on the platform. But Dr. Cornell West, a real liberal professor from, uh, I think, I forget what school, Princeton, I think. He's a real liberal, and he was a Bernie surrogate through and through. He's still anti-Hillary to a degree. He's still saying vote Jill Stein right now, unlike Bernie, but he was at the drafting committee. We have had successes. We've had concessions, like you said earlier. So, you know, we, we can't take it as, as a full-on loss and abandon it. It's just incremental progress from here. Oh, absolutely. And I think, um, I think that's a great place to end this on a high note, a note of talking about how we we have made progress. (laughs) We have absolutely come a long way. Um, Change has come. (laughs) It it really has. And there's only more to come. Uh, if you don't give up and you keep the fight going, hold your feet to the fire, liberals, and it'll get better. It'll get better. (laughs) Um, right on, brother. All right, so you want to uh, just one more time tell everybody uh, where they can find your shows, what your shows are. Um, so, so we are known as the Dollar Van Network. Uh, our Twitter accounts are Dollar Van Network uh, at DV Network at Uncredible Profits at uh, I'm, I'm forgetting the name of my own stuff here <laughs> at um, Uncredible Debate at Unformal. I, informal debates. Right. Wow, I'm really losing it here. It's new. Politics. Yeah, it's, it's new. It's only one episode so far. Yeah. And, you know, and uh, we're on SoundCloud and iTunes. Just search those. Search um, Unformal Debate. Search Uncredible Profits and you'll find us. And, and more to come from the Dollar Van Network. All right. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on this week. Thanks, Chris. 
All right, have a good one. And that does it this week for the podcasting couch. Big thanks to my guest Raja for taking time out of his day to come on to here and chat for quite a while uh, about quite a few things. It was a great discussion. I really enjoyed it. I hope that you guys really enjoyed it. Uh, go check out Unformal Debate. Go check out Uncredible Profits. I don't know how often the Uncredible Profits is 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 released. I should know. I haven't checked. Um, Unformal debate is a semi release. It's been, there's one episode up at the time of this recording. I don't believe that there's a second episode up yet, but they're working on the other episodes. And I can tell you right now, if the other episodes are like this first episode, it's good. It's something to listen to. If you really care about listening to like really hearty debate, really good informed debate, that's something to listen to. And we're not talking a screaming match. We're talking an intelligent discussion between two people about two opposing sides of an issue and not really reaching a resolution, but having a spirited debate. And that really is one of the best things to hear. Not these screaming matches that we're used to, but just a civilized discussion between two people about two opposing sides of something. It's a great show. You guys really should give it a listen. There will be links to everything in this episode, in the show notes for this episode, rather. And you can also check out thepodcastingcouch.com for all the other links uh, links to our iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, which you should definitely subscribe to this show if you have not already on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or whatever podcasting app you use. If you have some time, go ahead and drop us a review on iTunes. You have no idea. Like I said, you have no idea how helpful that is. It is one of the best things that you can do for a podcast is to go and leave them a review. Leave a review about how you feel about the show. Even if you don't like the show, give them a one-star review. Maybe email them first, tell them why you don't like it instead of putting it out there. That's just the courteous thing to do. But if you don't feel like being courteous, leave them a one-star review. Tell them why you don't like it. Maybe they can get better. Maybe your podcast that you like to listen to will say, well, fuck that guy. That's one less listener. Who cares? Either way, you're going to get what you want because you're going to know that you should either continue to listen to this show because they want you to listen or you know that they don't really care if you listen or not and then you don't have to waste your time anymore. So leave a review on iTunes, please. Rate and review on iTunes. Most helpful thing you can do. Once more, go check out thepodcastingcouch.com for all the links in this episode as well as previous episodes and any kind of information to our social media, what's going on, things like that. Till next week, this has been The Podcasting Couch. I've been your host. My name is Chris Carlson. I'll see you next week.